Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more For What It's Worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Whether it's changes to taxes, healthcare, financial regulation, we know that policy adjustments can have a meaningful impact on the markets and the economy. Here to discuss what policy proposals we've seen from the Biden administration so far and what investors should pay attention to in the coming months, I'm glad to be joined by Raymond James Washington policy analyst, Ed Mills. Ed, welcome back and thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's always great to be here. I want to ask you about the first 100 days in office. There's often a lot of emphasis put on the first 100 days of any new administration, especially for investors that have more of a long-term focus. Do you think that 100 days is really a meaningful time period? Can we learn enough to see what policy might be put into place for the long-term? Yeah, Paige, so the first time we really focused on the first 100 days of the presidential administration, um, that goes back to FDR and the implementation or the laying out of the New Deal. And so uh, from that administration, that really did set the economic policy that was going to kind of occur over the course of a decade plus. Um, What we see in Democratic administrations, the first 100 days is usually met with uh, new policy proposals. Um, In Republican administrations, uh, oftentimes it's about reversing uh, some of the legislation that they ran uh, to repeal. Um, And so it really does matter Uh, based upon the economic conditions of the country when a new presidency starts, as well as oftentimes the party of the individual who's taking office. With the Biden administration, the first 100 days is notable, uh, given the fact that we saw a $1.9 trillion uh, economic fiscal stimulus bill uh, pass Congress, which is setting in place a new fiscal policy for this country that is going to have significant near-term and medium-term Um, economic impacts. I think it is a question on whether or not there is going to be long-term economic uh, implications from that package. And that probably is only decided once we know what's going to happen with quote-unquote infrastructure. Yes. If if the economic condition of the country matters a lot and the significant of those first 100 days, this was certainly uh, an out-of-the-ordinary economic scenario for a new administration to walk into. Can you talk to us about some of the big proposals that have been put forth during this 100-day period? I know that one aspect, of course, that investors are always interested in is tax changes. What have we seen so far? So after the $1.9 trillion um, uh, COVID relief bill passed, um, the president has proposed two large infrastructure packages. Uh, The first was the American Jobs Plan. That's a roughly $2.2 trillion package. Uh, In the president's first joint session before Congress, he laid out the American Families Plan. That's a $1.8 trillion package. Combined, that's $4 trillion of proposed spending on top of the $2 trillion that's already been proposed or already implemented um, in in March. So uh, if fully enacted, that's $6 trillion of new federal programs that have been um, put forward uh, for 2021. Um, in terms of how to pay for this, uh, the president has proposed $4 trillion of pay-fors. Uh, that includes changes to the corporate tax rate, 
that includes changes to uh, individual taxes, um, as well as a significant step up in enforcement in terms of uh, collecting taxes that are already owed. Uh, that in and of itself could be somewhere between $700 billion and a trillion dollars of pay-fors of this package of just collecting what is known as the tax gap. Can you talk a little bit about the estate tax considerations involved here too? There's a lot of interest in how the current laws that are in place might be adjusted as this policy continues throughout Congress. Yeah, so when we look at some of the pay-fors, the big dollars come from changes to the corporate tax or the international tax, but the big questions come from how are those tax changes potentially going to impact me as an individual investor? Uh, Probably nowhere gets more attention than the potential changes to the estate taxes. Um, The estate tax threshold at about $12 million for a couple, that is not being proposed to change. The big change that is um, being proposed here is what's known as step up in basis. Uh, So right now, when an asset is transferred as part of an estate after death, when that asset is transferred, the new owner of that asset gets a step up in basis. Their basis for that investment for that asset is its current price. What the Biden administration is proposing is saying, get rid of that step up in basis, keep the original basis on that asset. And so when it is sold, the owner of that asset is going to have higher capital gains rates. The threshold that they are setting there for exclusion is a million dollars for a couple, that's $2 million. Add in the exclusion for um, real estate, a couple would have an exclusion of about $2.5 million. That is a much lower threshold than that $12 million estate tax threshold, um, drawing into question a lot of the way in which estate planning has been done uh, for generations in this country. So that would be the biggest change in terms of your long-term approach to the assets that you could be including in any estate or will um, as part of your plan with your financial advisor. How likely do you think it is that these tax-related proposals will eventually be put into law? And what would that path forward look like? Yeah, so I think it is extremely likely that taxes are going up. Um, I'm just not of the belief that taxes are going up uh, by $4 trillion. Um, I do think that the total dollar amount of the package um, for infrastructure is going to be something less than $4 trillion. Uh, There is a political environment in D.C. that exists where deficit spending uh, is still um, politically feasible. Um, It's a very different environment than has existed for a number of years. Um, And then when we look at kind of the number one pay for uh, in this bill is just collecting taxes that are already owed, uh, and that could be as much as a trillion dollars. So um, the areas where I'm focused on is the most likely taxes to go up is a corporate tax rate not to 28%, not back to 35% of where it was before uh, the TCJA, the Trump tax cuts, but something in the 24-25% range. On individuals, uh, for households with income above $400,000, I do think the top tax rate is going from 37 to 39.6%. On investment taxes, there is going to be an increase in households that have annual income above $1 million, It probably doesn't go to ordinary income. It looks like that's probably closer to a 28 to 30% all-in investment tax for those top 500,000 households in this country. 
Do you think this is something that we could see put into law before the end of the calendar year? What's a tentative timeline here? So um, one of the things about this debate is there are no deadlines. There is no crisis. And as we've discussed in the past, Congress really does respond to a crisis or a deadline. I see a crisis developing, um, or at least um, Democrats looking to have a inflection point around the times when members are scheduled to go home, either for the August recess or for at the end of the year. Funny things happen when members are looking to go home and they are held in D.C. until they get an outcome. Um, the thing to watch in my mind is the debt ceiling debate. Um, magically, they say that the debt ceiling is set to be breached on October 1st, the very first day of the fiscal year. That seems to match up. And the others are saying, well, we might not have time to get to October 1st. It might happen over the summer. So you probably want to deal with that before you go home in August. Um, members of Congress, they'll vote to increase the debt limit, but you probably need to give them other things that they're voting for as they're doing that. An infrastructure package is the perfect thing to peer with the debt limit and getting that done uh, potentially before the August recess, if not then, by the end of the year. Can you remind us about how some of this process works? We have a House of Representatives with a Democratic majority, and we've got a split Senate. It's not a situation that um, maybe we're as familiar with as in some administrations past. What does it look like if a bill comes to the Senate and voting falls along party lines? Yeah, so a lot of attention has been whether or not this can be a bipartisan package or if it is going to be done uh, on a partisan basis uh, through the process of budget reconciliation. A bipartisan bill um, doesn't need a single um, Republican vote in the House. It really is about getting 10 uh, Republicans in the Senate to get to the 60 vote threshold to avoid the filibuster. Um, if we do reconciliation, uh, it is a simple majority vote. Uh, the tie-breaking vote right now is the Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. Um, and so process is important. Um, the outcome here is important. What I hear when I talk to folks in D.C. is that um, there is a lot of this debate about partisan versus bipartisan bill, but there is a belief that if there was an opportunity to do a bipartisan bill, Democrats are probably going to do a partisan bill after that. And so if we take a step back, the total dollar amount is likely to be the same regardless of the process that gets taken, um, which in my mind, as Republicans see a likelihood of getting a partisan reconciliation bill on top of what they agreed to on a bipartisan basis, gives them less of a reason to negotiate something on a bipartisan basis and say, look, let's just run on the fact that these are the priorities of Democrats, these are the priorities of Republicans, and we'll settle that in the midterm election uh, next year. And so it looks more likely that we're going to go down this partisan route. Uh, and it looks more likely than not that, you know, they're not going to get the full four trillion, but something subset of that. What are you seeing happening in terms of health care policy right now? So um, health care policy is running on a parallel track uh, to a lot of these negotiations. Uh, there were a number of changes uh, to health care policies uh, as part of that one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief package uh, included in there were COBRA subsidies, uh, were additional subsidies for individuals who buy their health care off of uh, the ACA exchanges. Uh, there is a desire uh, by the Biden administration to extend those out 
Um, however, when you look at the pay-fors, the tax changes we've uh, discussed, those are non-healthcare-related uh, tax changes. There are a number of healthcare-related provisions that can raise money. Is that the negotiation of prescription drug prices? Is that a change to some of the reimbursement formulas? Any of the money that is raised through those changes are going to pay for healthcare um, you know, priorities. So the way I look at this is that infrastructure is running on one track, healthcare is running on a parallel track. There'll be political decisions as to how much can be done on healthcare. And at the end of the day, right before they're ready to vote on something, they will bolt on the healthcare changes, whatever politically can get the 50 votes necessary to clear the Senate um, you know, reconciliation hurdle. In a different area of policy, you've written recently about some changes proposed uh, related to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. What can you tell us about what's being proposed there? Uh, regulations are coming. Uh, so recently, the new chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, Gary Gensler, uh, who was the chairman of the uh, Commodities Regulator, the CFTC, um, testified before Congress. Um, when Gensler was the former chairman of the CFTC, uh, he was a super regulator. Uh, he really was the only regulator after the passage of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act that completed the list of items he was supposed to do under the Dodd-Frank Act. Uh, there are regulations at other regulatory bodies uh, 12 years on that still have not yet completed um, some of the things that were required of them under Dodd-Frank. So I look at Gary Gensler and say, this is a man who likes to regulate and knows how to take an idea and put it into regulation. Top among his reforms is tackling what has been referred to as the gamification of the stock market, adding new investor protections, uh, looking at the Archegos um, uh, trade debacle of a couple of months ago, making sure there's more transparency in short selling, and stock loan sales, as well as total return swaps, uh, looking at um, you know, the consumer protections in the trading of cryptocurrencies, asking Congress to regulate the exchanges of cryptocurrencies. Uh, interesting to us is he was asked multiple times about regulation BI, regulation best interest. Uh, he is monitoring that, but did not propose anything new in his testimony once he was trying to get confirmed nor before the House Financial Services uh, Committee. It seems that's a lower level priority as there's so many other things that he is looking to do first. Of these topics that you've spoken about already and other DC policy advancements that are happening in, in maybe the background, what's the biggest question that you're hearing from investors right now? Where is the most attention? So I think infrastructure uh, gets a lot of the immediate attention. People do want to know um, about taxes. Uh, the question that comes up on taxes is, when is this going to be effective? Um, I do believe most of the tax changes will be effective in 2022 or beyond. Um, but there is a chance that for some subset of these tax changes, um, they could be put in place uh, immediately or potentially retroactively. Um, I tell uh, investors, put themselves into the negotiating room. If we are not going to have a 396 uh, percent investment tax on capital gains and dividends, and it does go down to 28%, what gets asked for in return? Does the White House, do congressional Democrats say, yes, 
we'll move it from 39.6 that we propose down to 28, but it's going into effect immediately, or it's going into effect as of January 1. I, I think it's unlikely they go back to January 1, um, but those risks are there. And so I think you have to look at your portfolio and say, are there things that I would like to um, make sure that I would, if I knew that taxes were going up uh, and there was going to be this potential change, how would I react to that? Doing that sooner rather than later um, is, is reasonable kind of an assessment that needs to be made. What do you make of the market's reaction or lack of reaction uh, to the start of the year so far? They've seemed remarkably resilient, although we have had certainly moments of volatility. Are you surprised at all? Well, I, so what we um, said leading up to the election is that what we needed to see um, was a clear result um, and that we needed to um, look to see how the Fed was conducting their monetary policy and ultimately how Congress uh, was enacting fiscal policy. In the last year, we have seen Congress step in and appropriate more than $5 trillion. And so, well, COVID has had a dramatic impact on the economy, has had a um, heartbreaking impact on um, the health and well-being of people here in the United States and globally. Um, this monetary and fiscal support has really supported the market. And as we move into a phase of reopening and with vaccinations um, and lowering case counts, you see that reopening happen with that fiscal and monetary support. So the market reaction to me, um, it would match what we were expecting um, coming out of uh, the presidential election um, and the congressional elections late last year. What events and deadlines will you be paying most attention to in the coming months and quarters? So, you know, deadlines to me is when is Congress going to be in session? When are they scheduled to go home? Um, yeah, there is a desire to get a lot of this done uh, by the August recess, as I mentioned, uh, but they're only in session about seven or eight weeks between now and then. And overhauling all of the tax code and fundamentally remaking um, the way in which we view infrastructure in this country in the course of seven or eight weeks is a Herculean task. Um, after that, I am focused on um, September 30th, the last day of the fiscal year. Uh, there is a need to get 60 votes in the Senate for an appropriations bill. I don't think we have a government shutdown, but that is a inflection point that needs to be dealt with. After that, I look to the end of the year. What does um, Chuck Schumer as the Senate Majority Leader, what does Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House, what do they want to get done? Uh, before allowing members to get home. Um, and I do think that there's going to be a couple of priorities that they um, insist on getting at least an answer to up or down uh, before members are allowed to go home. So it really is these congressional calendars dictating the agenda in D.C. Ed, we really appreciate your perspective. Do you have any parting takeaways for our listeners? Um, you know, I think that there is going to be a lot of uh, volatile headlines. Um, there is going to be a situation where um, you know, there will be uh, a lot of uncertainty as we are looking to see significant changes to the tax code uh, into fiscal policy in, in the United States. I do think near and medium term, the goal is to get the economy uh, running as hot as possible. Longer term, we can have a conversation about the impact, but we don't have a full view on that until we know the details of what is going to be fleshed out uh, over the coming months. 
Raymond James Washington Policy Analyst, Ed Mills. Ed, thank you again for your insights today. We really appreciate it. Likewise, thank you. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe to catch all our latest episodes. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC and CUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James and Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC.